Welcome. How are we doing today? Okay. Oh, hey, hello. <laughs> Hi, Jim. How are you? Good? Good. Good. Well, that's good. Um, I'm glad you guys are doing well. Um, I'm doing well myself. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're here today. My name is Austin, as, as Jim mentioned, too. But yeah, that's my name. I'm one of the pastors here. And as many of you know, um, I'm no longer in my former role here at Waypoint as, uh, as the announcements pastor. Yeah, it's a sad day. Uh, but Noah's doing great. Noah's killing it. Yeah, so glad we hired that guy. <laughs> but seriously, he's, he's doing an awesome job with students, um, leading your middle schoolers really, really well. And so I'm really grateful for him. Um, as for me, I've had the opportunity to move into a different role here at Waypoint. And that has uh, brought you all uh, more teaching and preaching from me. And I don't take that lightly, but I, just, I do want to take a second to just thank you guys. Uh, this is new for me. I'm still very, um, I'm, I'm learning and I'm, and I'm growing and I'm still very much trying to figure it out and you all are still here. <laughs> so, so that's a good thing. Um, but I, so so I, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for your grace through this time um, as I enter into this, this new season and, and into this process. And so, and I'm also very thankful for your prayers and for your support, your, the, the emails, the texts, the letters. Uh, they mean a lot to, to Morgan and I. Um, and so we're, we're thankful, very thankful for your encouragement and support through this process. Um, and so I would just ask you again to continue to pray for Morgan and I as we continue to rely on God's guidance through this process. And our prayer is, just, our prayer is simply to just be obedient, to be obedient to where we, uh, we, we think or, or discern where God is, is leading us. And so um, we just want to be obedient to whatever, wherever he's leading us and trust that he will provide. Now, if you're confused as to what I'm talking about, which you might be, I don't know. Um, you might be confused. I invite you to join us next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're having a Vision Sunday, and we are going to be talking about um, the future vision direction of Waypoint. So you will get caught all up to speed on all things Waypoint next Sunday. So be here for that. Don't miss it. We'll, we'll bring you up to speed. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, Blair shared a great message on how God really and truly is active in our lives. But that can actually be really easy to lose sight of when fear enters the picture. And so if you weren't here, go back and listen to it. It was a really good sermon. Granted, it was a little confusing at times, especially towards the beginning. You kind of felt like, whoa, Blair, where are you going with that? And then, and then towards the end, he wrapped it all up, and it was awesome. Um, and the reason why I say it was confusing is because of how Blair tied together two characters in the scriptures. Except Blair didn't really tie them together. He just revealed that connection to us. And he did an excellent job at that. And it was very meaningful for me at least. And so I'd encourage you, go back and, and listen to it or watch it. But what Blair did by revealing that pattern between the two stories, between the two characters, Balak and Jethro, um, is something that the authors of the scriptures anticipate, hope, and expect that we as the readers will do and do often. This is something that, 
that is a pattern in the scriptures that as they were written, they, they, they want you to connect stories, to connect different things together. And that really brings significance and deeper meaning to some of these stories. And so there is a pattern in the scriptures that we're going to look at today. And it's in, it, we're going to dive into several different places. We're kind of going to start somewhere and then weave through. So I would invite you to open your Bibles, but you're just going to have to keep, keep going. And so you can follow along on your, on your phones if that might be easier. If you've got the Bible app on there, you can kind of, um, you know, flip, scroll through faster, I guess. Um, but we're going to look at this, this pattern called through the waters. And so as we, as we, look, in this, as we look through this pattern in the scriptures, uh, we're going to try and tie things together through the waters. Okay, but before we dive in, Anybody? Ha <laughs> ha, thank you. All right. All right, I like, okay, I know I say it. I love to have fun. I like to get up here and get cheesy with some of my jokes, so just bear with me. I appreciate it. All right, thanks for the pity laugh over there. Was that Tracy? <laughs> thank you, Tracy. <laughs> oh, okay, so before we dive in, um, I want to ask you guys a question. Has anyone heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words? Anyone? Okay, you, most of you should probably, a lot of students have their hands in the air, probably because you guys heard it the most recently. Um, but yeah, this is, it's a phrase, hey, it's okay, it's a phrase I heard a lot growing up, okay, I think I just heard it the other day, I mean, this is something, it's a phrase that still rings true today, and mo- most often you hear this phrase because um, there was likely something in your life that you were doing or not doing that contradicted something that you were saying, or vice versa, right, and it's definitely, I use it a lot as a youth pastor, I still, I use it now as a coach, Okay, and so there, and again, I heard it a lot growing up. So it's a phrase that I, but I still think this phrase, actions speak louder than words, carries a lot of truth for us adults, for us followers of Jesus today. And even more than that, take it to another level, I think that there are actions that actually say more than words. And what I mean by that is that there are some actions that actually say what words cannot say. Now, we can say a lot with our words. You guys know I can say a lot with my words. But there are some things, there are some things in our lives that words struggle to even come close to value or describe. And really, some of the most important things in life are the things that are hardest to put into words. But when we can say something with our actions, with our bodies, that actually says more than what we could with our words, I believe something very significant and something very profound is going on. For example, it's really easy at like the most basic level to say you love someone, right? It's three words. It's I love you. Like that's at the most basic level, it's easy to do that. It's, it's just saying words. But yet it is so difficult for us to say that sometimes because we know what that implies. We know that our actions, if they contradict what we are saying, then something is in conflict there. Because it is our actions, when we say I love you, it is actually by saying that, we are actually saying that our actions are what communicates whether or not we truly love someone. There's a great example of this in the scriptures, um, probably the greatest example of this, uh, in my opinion, and that's in John 1:14. And right off the bat, 
the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh because actions speak louder than words and some actions say more than words ever could. And I think God was well aware of this when He chose to dwell among us in the flesh. And there are plenty of examples of Jesus demonstrating this throughout the Gospels, but for us today, I just want to focus in on one, and that is baptism. Through baptism, we are participating in the very action that God has used to bring life and to bring freedom to his people since the beginning. And yes, I am referring to Genesis again, okay? All right, in case you were wondering. You weren't wondering. I'm, I'm up here. We're probably going to read Genesis, okay? But I think that's why, that, that's why baptism is so important for us to participate in as followers of Jesus because it is something that, that ties things together. It brings actions to things. So when we confess and believe in who Jesus is and what he has done for us, baptism puts actions to our words and communicates our confession and belief through an action. And what we are going to learn today is that baptism, it also gives, so it's not just an action, it's also something that gives us a narrative for, for us, for our lives to recall, to remember. Because it's also a reminder that you now identify with Jesus and his people through the waters. So where does this pattern through the waters begin? Any guesses? I heard it. Genesis. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Genesis. It does. It begins in Genesis. Like, surprise. Okay. I, I kind of foreshadowed that's where we were going. Okay. So in the beginning, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There you go. Water right there, right off the bat. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. And then God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good, right? Genesis 1 sets up this pattern by giving us a fundamental portrait. This is where it all starts. It's a fundamental, fundamental portrait of the world. Because what God is doing here is God is bringing order to the world by acts of separating. Actions of separating. God creates the heavens and the earth, and we are told that the earth, that the world is, is formless and empty. Or in Hebrew, it's the phrase tohu vavohu. Say that with me, tohu vavohu. Tohu vavohu. It's kind of fun to say. And what, <laughs> tohu vavohu. And what that means, like you could totally, like this could totally be like a phrase that we like weave into our everyday language. It means like wild and wasteland. Like if that was like, you know, some crazy animal that they, or sea creature that they find, you know, like 
I don't know, in some submarine, like comes out and it's got all these teeth and it's crazy and nuts and you're like, whoa, tohu vavohu, like it's just wild and wasteland and like we aren't supposed to live with them. <laughs> That's the reason we don't live that deep in the sea, okay? Anyway, all right, tohu vavohu, wild and wasteland, okay? And so by formless and empty, think unordered, wild, and think uninhabitable, okay? It was chaos, And God brings order to it by separating it. First, he separates light from dark. Then he separates the water above from the water below. And then he separates the seas for dry land by gathering the waters together. Through the waters, through the waters, God brings up life. God brings up humanity. God creates this new world in which he, he offers to us partnership with him to help bring order and to help life flourish. It's Genesis 1. Okay, and then we have Genesis and 2. And then we have Genesis 3. Genesis 3 happens, okay? And so humans, re- it's the fall. Humans rebel from God and the world slips back into chaos because of, because of the evil humanity and the violence of humans. Like we slip back into chaos and from here on out, the pattern of through the waters is about God rescuing his people from the chaos and how through the water they emerge on the other side, a new creation. They emerge on the other side to inhabit a new land, okay? And so this pattern of rescue through the waters continues uh, later in Genesis 6-8 with some chaotic waters of the flood, right? There's a lot of water, a lot of water on the flood. So after the fall in Genesis 3, chaos ensues, and the humans become increasingly more violent and evil, and so God, what God does is he splits the water from the deep. You remember in Genesis 1, like what is the Spirit of God hovering over? He's hovering over that water of the deep, the darkness of the deep. He's hovering over that deep water, and so God splits that water, okay, and then he splits the heavens above, and water begins to fill the earth, okay, and flood the earth, and this is, this is Genesis 7:11. In the 600 year of Noah's life, on the seventh day and of the seventh, second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep bursts forth. Or that word is split or separated. Okay? So the great deep splits or is separated. And from it, the flood. And the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And so the flood becomes sort of like this decreation story of sorts, wiping away every living creature. Except God, God remembers Noah. And Noah and his family are rescued through the waters, through the chaotic waters of death. Noah and his family are, and all, you know, all the animals, okay, not all the animals. It's not really actually two of every kind. There was, there was much more than that. Anyway, we're not diving into that. Okay, all right, don't think, think through the waters. That's what we're talking about here, all right? So they are saved from the chaotic waters and brought out onto the other side, and they begin again in a new creation. Now, where else, where else in the scriptures do we see God rescuing his people through the water and his people emerging out the other side? Where else? Exodus, that's right, with Moses, okay? That's right, that's also, yeah, Moses, you know, that guy that had like the white, you know, the white, well, we don't know that, but he's always depicted as got like the white hair and, you know, the Ten Commandments and his staff. Okay, it's very like 
stuck. It's very intense, actually. Okay. And so anyway, and so Moses, like, you know, stands in front of the Red Sea, and he basically, he just straight up, like, parts it down the middle, right? Okay, so, yeah, that's exactly where we're going. But before that, and I found this really interesting, and I had never caught this before, and it was really cool that I was doing research for this, and, like, I just had such a good, fun time connecting this together. So I hope you guys are enjoying this with me. I don't know, but here we go. Okay, so bef- even before Moses splits the sea, and they go through the waters. Before that, Moses was born. He was born in a time when Pharaoh had decreed that throughout the land, all of the, all of the Hebrew boys were to be thrown into the Nile. All the Hebrew babies who were born were to, be, were to be thrown, boy babies, were to be thrown into the Nile, into the waters of death. But Moses' mother doesn't, doesn't do that. Um, she actually builds Moses... A, a little cradle. The word is ark, actually, oddly enough. Okay, not oddly enough, if, it's, if the authors know we're, we're supposed to connect things, okay? So this is in Exodus 2, 1 through 3. Now a man of the tribe of Levi carried a Levite woman, and, or sorry, married a Levite woman. He carried a Levite woman? Married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when, he could, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him. And it's interesting because this is that, it's a basket, but that word basket is actually the, the same word that is used in Genesis 6 through 8 for the word ark. And what's really interesting about that word is it only appears in Genesis 6, 8 and in Exodus, in this story in Exodus. Nowhere else does that word ark appear. And so it's really this cool thing. Okay, so um, has this ark, and then she coats it with tar and pitch, and she placed the child in it and puts it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So Moses, here Moses is in this ark, and he's rescued through the water on this tiny little basket. And later Moses becomes appointed to deliver Israel, whom God refers to as his firstborn son, out of slavery in Egypt. This, is, this takes place in Exodus uh, 14, 21 through 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, they were split, they were separated, and the Israelites went through the sea on the dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. God saves his chosen people from Egypt by leading them through the waters. So through the waters of the Red Sea and onto dry ground into freedom. Egypt is behind them, slavery is behind them. Through the waters, God leads his people into freedom. Except they end up wandering the desert for 40 years, right? Until the pattern picks back up. So the pattern picks back up again in the book of Joshua. The Israelites have wandered in the, in the desert now, and there's a new generation that is preparing to enter into the promised land. And so the Israelites, as they're preparing, Joshua, who took over for Moses, he was, like, he was appointed next after Moses. Um, so Joshua, they spend the night before the Jordan, and as they're preparing to enter, Joshua says, listen, Israel, consecrate yourself. Become holy. Cleanse yourself. Separate yourself. Set yourself apart and become holy because we need to experience the promised land with a pure heart be, to be right with God. Now, the priests, uh, the priests were instructed to enter into the, um, 
into the Jordan River first, okay? And so before they enter into the Jordan River, the priests, the priests were told to walk in first, walk into the waters first. And as they do, the water splits. And there's this interesting moment. And the priests, we'll, we'll read this here in a second, the priests actually go out and they stand in the middle and they let Israel pass through behind them as the water is split. Because something happens, something that is true of the priests becomes true of the rest who follow. As the priests' feet touch the river, the waters of the Jordan, they split and the Israelites cross through the river onto dry ground. This is, um, this is Joshua 3.17. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, again, Ark of the Covenant, that's a different word for Ark. I wasn't lying to you. It's a very different word. Okay, that word refers more to like a, like a sarcophagus or like a, a, a treasure chest, okay? And so the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on the dry ground. So God brings the people out of the chaos, out of the wilderness, and once again, they cross through the waters to the place that God has prepared for them, the promised land. And this pattern through the waters has one other instance in the book of Isaiah, but, but we're not going to dive into that today because it's actually really, it's, it's metaphorical. It would take a lot of time for us to dive in, and we just don't have that today, okay? But but here's what we do have. We do have these incredible stories of how God saves his people through the waters. And while it might be like really cool and I had a lot of fun like kind of connecting the dots and we might be like, oh yeah, that's so awesome how that connects. Like, that's the same word for ark. Okay, and like finding the pattern throughout the scriptures. But where does it all lead? Where does this, where does this take us? Well, as I mentioned earlier, we're really talking about baptism. The word baptism is first introduced in the Gospels by a guy named John, John the Baptist, because he baptized people. Um, John the Baptizer, okay, that's what they called him. And John was a rather strange character, if you have read about John or heard about John at all, okay, he like ate bugs strictly and wore like leopard skins and stuff like that. So wore animal skins. He, he, was a, he was a guy. He was, trying to, he was trying to dress like a prophet. He was trying to dress like a prophet of old. Um, and so anyway, there's this guy named John. Regardless, he's out in the desert. He's out in the wilderness. And he is calling people to repent and to go into the water of the Jordan and be baptized. And so now we're kind of like, oh. And, and later on in, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark, we realize, oh, that's Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan. And now we're starting to like, oh, okay. Uh, the same river, the same river that the Israelites passed through to the promised land where the water was split like the Red Sea when God rescued his people from slavery and death through the water. Like Moses and Noah, the chaotic waters that God had been splitting and separating and leading his people through since the beginning in Genesis when he ordered and separated the waters so that through the waters on the other side, life could flourish. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus went down into the Jordan and was baptized. And when we read about Jesus' baptism with this pattern through the waters, 
we find Jesus. The Word became flesh. Action. He's participating in an action that communicates the story of God's continual rescue of his people into freedom, into the promise of life. And Jesus participates in that and then takes it one step further. And yet we still might be thinking, okay, yeah, that's, that's cool. That's cool. Like, uh, you know, now I can connect baptism back to these incredible stories of God rescuing his people. Uh, but what do they mean for us? What does that mean for us? Because I think it's safe to say that none of us in the room need rescue from an impending world-ending flood, right? Because I think it's safe to say that none of us are fleeing an Egyptian army or, or running from slavery. None of us in the room this morning are wandering the Sinai Desert. But you do have a story. And it's probably safe to say that when there... That, that there has been chaos in your life. You have a story. And maybe there still is chaos in your life. Maybe you do feel like the world is flooding around you. Maybe you do feel like that there is something holding you back. back. You're enslaved to a bad attitude or to a habit or an addiction that is keeping you from the relationships and the life that you know God wants to lead you to. Or maybe you feel like you've been left wandering and life has just felt like a desert for some time now. And now, and you know, you know about the life that God wants you to live, the, the life that God has promised for you but you're just not seeing it. Friends, baptism is a symbol loaded, packed with every single one of these stories and it includes yours too. Should you choose to respond to Jesus, and the act of baptism is a symbolic declaration of that moment when you choose to respond to Jesus and place your faith and trust in him. Because through baptism, you are acknowledging that no matter what chaos surrounds you or ensues you, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you have a way through the chaos, through the waters. Whether it's a poor choice you've made, or, or, the, or the actions and poor choices of, of others in your life that have affected you, negatively affected you, and you feel like the waters are surrounding you, in baptism, you're going into the waters, trusting that God is going to bring you out alive on the other side. Because on the other side is new life. On the other side is a fresh start. On the other side is freedom. On the other side is a promised land. On the other side, you know a voice that says to you, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love, with whom I am pleased. Baptism is something that we as followers of Jesus are called to do. But more than that, more than just responding to that moment in our lives one time. It's more than that because it's something that we can remember and remind ourselves of and act out actively living that out every day. And what I mean by this is that your actions, 
Not just your words, but your actions communicate your choice to follow Jesus. And when you, when you choose to place your trust and your faith in Jesus and then choose to be baptized, you're actually choosing to identify with Jesus. And then what happens is what's true of Jesus becomes true of you. And what I mean is that when every day you're acting out of faith, every day you're acting out of trust in Jesus. When the waters, when they rise up against us, we can act and we can respond with hope, trusting that God will rescue us. When you feel enslaved by your choices or by the actions of others, we can remember that God buried the Egyptians in the sea and our sin along with it. Paul in Romans 6, he says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Egypt is behind you. Through the waters, new life, dry ground, the promised land. Through Jesus. For if we have been united with him in in a death like this, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we will no longer be slaves to sin. Egypt's behind you. Because anyone who has died and has been set free from, anyone who has died has been set free from sin, friends. That is an aspect of baptism that we take with us. It's a reminder of the moment that Jesus went into the waters and he came out. It's a reminder of the cross when Jesus went into the chaos that is death and defeated it for humanity to live, for those who choose him, to choose to live through him, to trust God through the waters, though they're surrounding you, to trust God out the other side. In some way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. He's saying, remember your baptism. Remember what that means through Jesus. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Through Jesus, baptism takes your story, friends, and redeems it. Your story becomes a part of that greater pattern of through the waters. Through Jesus' death death to sin and resurrection into life, you have been put to death. And you've put to death the sin in your life. And even though sin might come knocking, right? Even though sin might come challenge you and tempt you, you can remember that you have been set free. 
You are, no, you are a slave no longer, Paul says. You do not have to go back to Egypt. You can trust that God is going to lead you through the waters. And baptism is a way for us to identify with that, a way for us to put to action our words and choose to live life out on the other side. In the life and the freedom that we can know, live, and experience through Jesus Christ. Amen? This is, a, this is an opportunity now for us to um, respond. We're going to enter into a time of worship. And I would just encourage you to consider what does this pattern mean for you through the waters? As you begin to identify your story with the story of God's people, what does that mean for you? If you've already been baptized, friends, this is a reminder for you that every day you have a choice to remember that you can live in freedom, that you don't have to live enslaved, you don't have to be burdened by the chaos that surrounds you, you have a way through it. And if you haven't made that choice to follow Jesus, man, I would encourage you to. I would implore you, implore you to consider what that could mean for you and the life and the freedom, the gift that is eternal life, as Paul says, through Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to consider that as we, as we worship in this moment.